Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Your host, Andrew Donaldson. This is Heard Tell. Ah, welcome to Heard Tell. It is Wednesday, the 1st of June. Can you believe that? Year of our Lord 2022 just continues to roll right along. I'm Andrew Donaldson. Thank you so much for joining us for Heard Tell. A lot to cover. We're going to get right to it. Uh, there is real-world implications of Vladimir Putin's war in Ukraine, uh, Africa. It is getting dire with the food shortages there. We'll cover a story from Der Spiegel out of Somalia. Also, uh, we're going to talk about the Durham investigation. Uh, the first trial has come and gone, and it only took six hours for the jury to acquit. We'll talk about that. We'll go over to the UK, our end of the program segment. Uh, a widow talks about the interesting and unique items that folks donated for a raffle to raise money for her late husband's hospice care team who took such good care of her. We'll go over to Romsey in the UK for that great story. Also, we're going to take a break from the politics. We're going to talk some movies, especially Top Gun, which I just love to death. In fact, we went and watched it again last night with the family on a whim. We said, yeah, we got nothing. Let's go watch Top Gun again. Great movie. A uh, big Memorial Day weekend movie that kind of went away over COVID. Is it back? We'll talk to our friend Luis Mendez, movie expert, who also talked about the businesses of movies, streaming, how they're balancing releases and streaming content. Uh, also going to throw him a John Williams trivia question. And he's also great about breaking down what movies mean to folks. Are we out of the COVID thing now? Luis Mendez, we're going to talk a little movies with him today on the program but first we gotta go down to uvalde because there's something very very rotten in this town we've been talking about it the kind of incompetence and cowardice that we saw in the police response to the school shooting at rob elementary that doesn't happen in a vacuum it happens in a sequence well now we've got another data point uh, let's go to ksat tv uh the unified school district police chief at the center of the shooting probe was sworn into the uvalde city council despite the mayor canceling the meeting this is down in uvalde again now Mayor Don McLaughlin said, this is KSAT again, said the meeting to swear in city council members would be canceled due to the first funerals for the Rob Elementary students. Among the members who were sworn in was the Uvalde uh, Independent School District Police Chief Pete Arredondo. Now, Arredondo was the only scene commander during the delayed police response to the school shooting that left 19 students and two teachers dead, according to state police officials. Now, um, I'm going to skip down for a second because... Mayor Don McLaughlin, there's a pattern here. When he says stuff off the cuff, he says one thing. When he says well-written statements that the lawyers have gone over, he says something else. He's walked back his comments about calling uh, Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick a liar. Uh, he's walked back those statements. He's also said that there's no reason that Arredondo can't be sworn in. He had early said he wasn't under investigation. Well, now he is. He is under investigation. And here's the important part to that. They have stopped cooperating with the investigators. 
last Friday, uh, last Friday, DPS director Stephen McCraw said Arredondo made, quote, the wrong decision to wait so long before sending officers into locked classrooms. He said Arredondo, who was in charge of the law enforcement response during the siege, believed the shooter was barricaded inside the two adjoining classrooms and the children were no longer at risk. Arredondo has not publicly spoken since McCraw criticized his decision making and his now his house is under police guard. So he's gone quiet and they're refusing to cooperate. The Uvalde police and the independent school district police are now refusing to cooperate with the Department of Public Safety investigation. And Arredondo is holed up in his house other than coming out to get sworn into city council in secret without public view. That's right, folks. He's got more protection than the students had. Let that sit for a minute. There's something very, very rotten and wrong going in in Uvalde. I suspect we're going to find out there's been something very rotten going on for quite a long time, and this investigation needs to move forward. I don't care. You can wave your back the blue stuff all you want to. If you care about police, you hold them accountable. And the fact that these police will not cooperate, that we now know they're delayed, that we now know that they either screwed up or purposely didn't go in for whatever reason, and that the Border Patrol team went in and bailed them out and ended this over top of their objectives, that the stories keep changing over and over again, that we have a mayor whose written statements that the lawyers go over are very different than when he speaks off the cuff. There's something very rotten in Uvalde, folks, and we need to get to the bottom of it, and I hope we do. The fact that this police chief sits under armed guard when these children had to wait around for his cops while they stood around and did nothing. I have no words. Damn him. And I hope they hold them all accountable and get to the truth of what's really going on down there. Those dead children and their family deserve at least that. More Hertel right after this. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Welcome back to Hertel. Uh, we have been talking for uh, almost 100 days now as we approach the 100-day mark on Vladimir Putin uh, illegally invading and butchering in Ukraine, that this was going to kill a lot more people than just in Ukraine. Der Spiegel, uh, the German publication, writing about Africa, Somalia in particular. In the Somalian capital, Mogadishu, sacks of food are being loaded up. They are printed with the American flag along with a stamp that says USA. They are sacks full of peas, wheat, and sorghum. They are intended to help save lives, but the warehouses of the World Food Program in the city isn't even halfway full. We can't do anything for the people in the camps. We are leaving them in lurch. El Kadir Dalum, the local WFP director in Somalia, said, and the reason is a rather banal one. There just isn't enough money. 
According to the calculations of various aid agencies, only 3% of the humanitarian aid Somalia needs has thus far been met, which means 97% is missing, which translates into people dying. Earlier in this piece, they uh, very graphically detail a young girl dying in her mother's arms, one of 15 people in a camp that died of starvation just that day. Read the whole piece of Der Spiegel. We will link to it in the show notes, but continuing with the piece. And more recently, aid supplies that have already been paid for are also missing. Half of the food that the WFP distributes to drought victims in Somalia used to come from Ukraine. Such a delivery was supposed to have arrived on March 10th, 1,188 tons of peas and famine-struck regions from Ethiopia and Somalia. The delivery had been scheduled to depart from the Ukrainian port of Odessa. Then it was pushed to May. A message was sent to the WF planners in Modishu saying the arrival of shipment was delayed again, but the daylight came and went, and the delivery never arrived, and the people of Somalia continue to suffer. In other instances, the AFP logisticians at least know what happened to the freight. Quote, there were some deliveries promised to us, but they were rerouted towards Ukraine, DeLone said. WFP headquarters in Rome confirmed some of the deliveries were rerouted to Ukraine instead of continuing to the crisis regions they were originally intended for. But WFP headquarters say those diversions have no effect on the provision of aids in those countries since sufficient reserve supplies are on hand. Since because of the war in Ukraine, it has become increasingly difficult to procure fresh supplies. Hunger in Europe is now competing with hunger in Africa, and it is now possible to find victims of Vladimir Putin's violence in every corner of the world. Folks, we have history. If Europe is competing with Africa and Hungary, we know which of those two is probably going to get aid first. It shouldn't be that way, but it is. We need to remember there's a lot of real-world people dying in ripple effects of this war. And as our focus turns towards Europe, not to forget the folks in Africa who are suffering greatly. More hotel right after this. Ah, went back to Herd Tell. Okay, something a little different. Let's talk movies. When we want to talk movies, we go to this man because he's great at it. He knows things about it. I don't because I'm not that big a movie guy, so I lean on him. Uh, Luis Mendez, our good friend. He has an excellent sub stack. He writes. He also writes at Ordinary-Times.com occasionally. How are you, my friend? How's things down in sunny South Florida? Well, it's first of all, it's super hot down here. But uh, other than that, I'm very happy that the movie season for 2022 has actually started off really good with, to my pleasant surprise, because I was actually a little scared that last year had been maybe a little too top heavy. But I think it's been a pretty solid start to the year for movies. See, we just did Memorial Day weekend. Top Gun came out. Massive movie. Huge hit. Going to be a monster film. I think it did 150-ish over the weekend, 300 worldwide, something like, you know, traditional summer blockbuster movie number. It's remind people, because COVID, we kind of forgot, this used to be what Memorial Day weekend about the movies was about. You had a big tentpole, top-of-the-line movie on Memorial Day weekend for five or six days, and that was like usually one of the movies of the year. That used to be the way COVID hit. Are we back to it, or is this an aberration, do you think? I mean, I, I don't want to say it's an aberration. Uh, I feel like we're sort of back to normal to an extent. Um, I, I, 
we've been seeing a trend and this has been going on even before COVID. And I think maybe COVID kind of accelerated it where people are being much more limiting what movies are going to go see. And a lot of that is because understandably um, folks are noticed that the theatrical window isn't as long as it used to be in after a movie comes out in theaters these days, 90 days or so, it's already available on streaming or it's already showing up at their store on DVD. So I think people are being more limited in what movies actually go to see in the theater. Uh, but there's no doubt about it that COVID hurt the box office uh, and accelerated these trends. What I'm very happy to see Top Gun doing this is, look, as much as I love and have a lot of fun with the MCU movies, it is really nice to see a non-MCU movie getting this kind of box office, especially a good movie like this. Uh, I'm very happy for Top Gun and Paramount, especially because they've been having some rough times the last couple of years. Uh, they, I think they're having a really good 2022 between this, The Lost City, the Sonic movie. They've got a major awards contender coming out at the end of the year. Uh, I, I think that if anything, this shows that if you can make a good enough movie with enough word of mouth, you can compete or do respectable even against the big superhero movies that everybody's going out to see. And we're even seeing this with smaller movies because there's a great movie that we recommend people check out uh, called Everything Everywhere All at Once that came out. Small movie, indie film. Um, this movie's legs have been... Uh, history making. It's not, you know, it's not making ridiculous money, but the legs have been there because of the great word of mouth. And I hope we get to see a little bit of that in a day and age where everybody kind of just shows up for the superhero movies. Yeah. And it's interesting you bring it up that way, because one of the reasons I like following you in your writing is you understand not, you don't just review the films, you understand the business side of this. Talk about this for a minute, because I don't remember, at least in my lifetime, a movie like Top Gun. And maybe it's because, you know, Tom Cruise has the stroke to make these things work. Maybe it's because the brand is so big and so nostalgic. Do you remember any other time where a studio held a movie for over two years, a big movie when they went through some struggling years on top of it would have been, you know, there's reports out there about how much Apple and Netflix and these other companies were offering uh, for Top Gun if they took it to streaming. Do you remember any kind of a comparison to this where they held a movie this long and it was still this big and this successful? This long, but I know that this is not the first movie that had it was held back because of the pandemic that there were rumors of streaming services getting involved and in getting it. I mean, I think that the latest James Bond, there was talk about Amazon uh, streaming it. Godzilla versus Kong, there was talk about Netflix buying that from Legendary. Uh, I know that the Dune... Uh, there have been some talks about that, which led to, to the director kind of speaking out. But yeah, this movie has been held back from us for two years. Now. I mean, I remember watching trailers for this back in 2020, uh, but they have been very careful to say, we're going to release this when the crowds are back so they can see it on the big screen. And it's paid off big time for them because not only is the movie a critical success, uh, it's a financial success. And I actually think, spoiler alert for the next time I write up my best picture Oscar projections, I think it's a long shot, but not impossible um, contender to be that populist best picture nominee. That's how well I think this movie has been received. They're definitely going to get some technical awards, aren't they? Because I want, and I'll, I'll confess, and I'm somewhat known as not being a huge movie goer. I don't like the 
the climate of a theater. But I went to this and I went to it in IMAX. And I was telling you before we started, something like IMAX, when you have a live shot movie, for the most part, there wasn't a lot of CGI in this film. You could really tell the difference in the way this movie was shot. This was quite an epic achievement in movie making. I know a lot of it's technology from the first one 35 years ago where they can put cameras in the cockpits and things like this. It's just spectacular just watching it visually. This was, aside from the plot and the nostalgia and Tom Cruise and the soundtrack, that movie visually is just one of the best things to just sit and stare at for two hours of anything I've ever seen on a big screen. Oh, yeah. And, and, and I think it's one of the things that, say, like a Christopher Nolan has been generally good at is that they're in this day and age of CGI to actually use some technical uh, real life stuff, uh, which you just can't beat when you're trying compared to trying to recreate something. Uh, I got to think that sound wise, at least it gets a nomination, at least sound, uh, you know, worst, worst case scenario. But I think it has the ability to perhaps do re, uh, even go beyond that. I mean, they, they played this movie at the Cannes Film Festival. Um, so it's definitely got its uh, eyes on everybody in the industry and regular moviegoers. Yeah, he won't get it, but it'd be I, I wouldn't mind seeing Miles Teller getting some kind of a nod on one of the lower level awards for something because I thought he was great in that film. Oh, yeah, I agree. But unfortunately, when it comes to acting awards, a lot of the, it's very hard for genre films to yeah. break through. If a genre film breaks through big, it'll usually just be based on the story and the movie itself. Uh, we don't get, unfortunately, we don't get those Heath Ledgers, Melissa McCarthy, and Bridesmaids sort of things. They're very rare. Yeah, but I, th- I thought that was a an eye-popping moment for Teller, who's been really good for a while now. Yeah. But, but man, you, you take some, Anthony Edwards is a well-known actor. And yeah. that role is iconic. Everybody knows who Goose is. If you just say that, that's all you got to say, and everybody knows it. And man, he killed it. That's not that's not easy for an actor to carry that kind of weight on a new film. And he transformed himself, and I thought it was pretty impressive myself. And I'm a fan, so I'm biased here. But that if that doesn't work, that movie don't work. And he carried it. Yeah, and and I even said in my written review that he did so well that I actually almost. I actually looked up just to make sure that Miles Teller was not uh, Anthony Edwards' son because he, he he was that, he just was that well in the role. And it's nice to see Miles Teller finally, because he's he's a great actor, like you said, but unfortunately, uh, some of his projects of late haven't been great. So I'm happy to see him in something good. I think the last thing I saw him in something really, really great was maybe Whiplash from a couple years back. Um, and uh, by the way, and, and uh, this isn't really a spoiler because th- they show it in the trailer, but it is nice to see Val Kilmer again, especially with the troubles that he's been dealing with of late. And I think that really helped to come full circle into that relationship between Maverick and Iceman. Yeah, and not, and we're not spoiling anything. Everybody knows he has throat cancer. Uh, this will probably be his last film role for all practical purposes. How good of an actor do you have to be to act after you no longer have the ability to speak? And he conveyed stuff with his facial movements and his, his I thought he, he wasn't just there for filler. He did a performance and it was, man, there wasn't a dry eye in that theater I was in when that ha- like as soon as they knew like, oh, this is the this is the Val Kilmer scene. Like you could feel it in the theater. Like it was one of those visceral moments that you only get in the theater. And I know I bash theaters, but this was one I'm where everybody went, oh, God, this is where Val is. And you could feel it out of the audience, and it was emotional. It was perfectly well done. There was just a little hint of comedy to take the edge off it. I, that's as good a scene from two real, real pros as you'll ever see, I think. 
Oh yeah, and and it is one of those moments where I think it it's a, able to create that audience, uh, re, uh, that audience participation moment in the theater. That if both if audiences just kept quiet and had more of those, that people would understand the point of having a good time at the movies. Um, and I will say that if if any folks out there want to know more about Val Kilmer and the stuff he's going through, they're on Amazon Prime. There's a great documentary that came out last year called Val, and uh, it having seen that documentary before seeing this, it only really made me even more appreciate more uh, that they were able to get him in this movie. Yeah, I was, it, you could hear a pin drop and I was watching it in IMAX, which is as loud as it gets. And there's, I don't know, four or 500 people in there. This is a big, this is way bigger than a normal movie theater. You could hear a pin drop during that scene. Like it was, it was a special moment. By the way, Miles Teller, um, free plug here, only the brave. Great movie. Didn't do great at the box office. Josh Brolin's in it. The firefighter movie. Those are the smoke jumpers that killed out in New Mexico. Uh, I thought he was great in that, that he doesn't get. A oh, lot of you know, for. hey, you're right. I, I almost kind of forgot about that movie. I think I remembered that film coming out a couple of years yeah, ago. Yeah, And he he's the main character for all intents and purposes. He really carries it and does a great job in a really, really hard role. Very emotional role. But that's a great movie that for whatever reason, it's just one of those movies didn't do that well. I know it's a heavy subject matter. Maybe that was part of it. But Josh Brolin's in it. It's a great cast. Encourage people to go check that one out. Um, talking to Luis Mendez, our good friend. Uh, we're going to take a quick break, come back. I want to talk a little bit more about the movie business. He's got a, already got a list going for award season. This has been a big year. This has been a big year for a company that's been struggling movie-making-wise, too. going to ask him about that. Luis Mendez, our good movie review and friend. More on Hard Tell with Luis right after back to her tell our movie expert cinephile he would call it because he thinks he's uh, a little more hoity-toity about it than <laughs> i am our good friend Luis mendez enjoy talking to him all right top gun is part of the stable of a movie company that's kind of had a lot of trouble their streaming service has been doing really good paramount is having themselves a banner year in a year where other brands like netflix is having a hard time a couple other movie houses are kind of struggling man paramount's just killing 2022 aren't they yeah, it's almost kind of reminding me of Warner Brothers last year, aside from some of the struggles they had regarding how the same day streaming may have hurt their box office. Uh, Paramount, uh, they were really a company that I, there were rumors about them just becoming a content company for their streaming service. They had had some really rough pair, uh, times in the pandemic where they did sell some stuff off, including Charles Chicago 7, which is a movie that ended up going all the way to the Oscars. And Netflix was the one that got to ride that because Paramount sold it to them. Uh, but this year, they've been really hot. <clears throat> the Lost City has been a nice uh, little box office hit for them. Um, that's a Sandra Bullock, 
Sandra Bullock, Channing Tatum, a, a romance comedy. Um, Sonic 2 has made good money. Uh, and now this with Top Gun. And later this year, they have an awards movie, uh, Babylon, which I believe for now is the movie to beat for best picture. Uh, they really have gotten themselves into a really good position this year. To, I just hope that they don't, I, I understand they need to make content for the streaming service, but I really hope that they don't quit making more theatrical content because they have really shown that they still got it this year. Let's You brought it up, so let's just compare the two. Of course, Warner Brothers is HBO Max. Um, the talk here about a year and a half ago was HBO Max was just going to dominate everything in the pandemic because they could do the dual releases like that. Paramount has already announced things like Top Gun. Hey, one month. It's going to be in the theater. One month, it goes to streaming. Compare and contrast the two because I'm sitting there looking at that Top Gun number, and of course, they're not going to have you know another Top Gun for 10 or 15 years, but... Um, that seems like a better model to me. It's almost the old DVD VCR model of, all right, release it a couple of weeks, as soon as the theater, give it a four week theatrical run, then put it on streaming. Does that seem like a little better model than the dual release thing? And I know that was kind of pandemic driven, but at the same time, you know, we got to compare what they did. Right. I think, I think it is a smarter one. Uh, as much as I really enjoyed Warner brothers content last year, uh, I think that same day streaming absolutely hurt them at the box office. We have the numbers in front of us that people, a lot of people watched it on the same day streaming than they did to come out to the theaters, which also was one of the many factors that hurt my favorite movie from last year in the Heights. A lot of people saw it on streaming than showing up. Whereas uh, if you were a big IP movie, you could survive that. But if you were a smaller movie, it was a little bit harder. Uh, it, Warner Brothers is also doing what Paramount's doing. The, the theatrical windows these days, uh, I remember when I was a kid, you'd have to wait half a year until something went from theaters to being available at home. These days, I mean, 90 days after the Batman came out, it was already on HBO Max. Um, Everything Everywhere All At Once, which I mentioned earlier, that movie's still in theaters, but I've already been able to pre-order the uh, 4K Blu-ray and it's going to be here in less than a month. Uh, that is, seems to be the new model. And I think it's a smarter model because... A lot of people kind of show up to the theater, mostly kind of these days in the first week or two that a movie comes out. So uh, I think it's better just to get that extra money from the folks who are going to wait till they can see it at home instead of waiting so long, just have it available quicker um, and just let word of mouth carry for anybody who wants to see the movie on the big screen until it comes out at home. And I think it is the future model um, for these studios. I know some theaters aren't happy about it, but the fact is, is that this is the era we're living under. Uh, people are just much more selective and more top-heavy in what they watch at the movie theaters. Yeah, and under that auspice, Luis Mendez, our good movie friend, joining us on her tell. Uh, a movie that I adored and loved, but it, it fell victim to demographics. Um, it didn't do quite as well as people thought it would do, and one of those is because they thought the audience streamed older for that brand and that hurt them because the older audience isn't back to the theaters like the younger audiences Downton Abbey I went to it in the theater back-to-back -back theaters I had Downton Abbey which is one of my favorite brands and then of course Top Gun it's been a good two weeks movie run I'm not going to movies for like three years I'm not topping it but um you know the row I was sitting in I had my 16 year old to my left bawling her eyes out and I had two 80 year old women to my right and they were crying and they had to stop crying to check and see is she okay my daughter because she was crying so hard this was a great great film 
but uh, the the makers were even open, like, hey, we're not sure about the audience because that older audience isn't coming back to the theaters yet. And they just blatantly said, like, we ain't even worried about it. We know it's strong. The reviews are good. We're going to make it up in streaming. That's kind of the flip side of that coin, isn't it? Because the movie going audience changed. It wasn't just COVID. It's just habits changed. And that older audience has found streaming. And for a lot of reasons, because, you know, age changes your lifestyle, they seem to started liking it, didn't they? Oh, yeah. And like I said, th- these are trends we started seeing before the pandemic. I believe the pandemic only accelerated them. Um, yeah, I mean, Downton Abbey, which is a movie, the second movie, especially. I, I, I actually really loved the first movie, but I think this one was an even more effective movie because Completely I agree. Because I, to me, the last film, as much as I liked it, it kind of felt like a reunion special. Was this felt as a proper follow-up and finale, if this is going to be the last thing we get from that series? Uh, yeah, it was unfortunate to see that uh, it didn't do too well at the box office. Didn't do horrible either, I will say. I, I actually thought it was going to have a rougher showing than it had, um, which goes to show you the fan base is still there. But... It, I'm, I wasn't surprised either to see it struggle a bit and that it didn't do as well as the first movie did because it, it's just folks are not showing up for those kind of movies unless there's immense word of mouth like Everything Everywhere All At Once or Top Gun. Um, what They're playing it safe. They're going to the big superhero movies and stuff like that and then saying, well, we'll catch the smaller stuff on streaming. Speaking of superhero movies, uh, Marvel has their normal slate out this year. Uh, Doctor Strange has already come out. Where are we at with that? Because there's a lot of everybody's got an opinion on the superhero movies. They're going to make a ton of money. That's not the question. They're going to keep making them. That's not a question. They've already got, I think, 22 Marvel movies announced over the next, I think, 22 months or whatever it is. So they're going to keep doing it. Are we at a plateau of it, though? Is, is it just kind of it is where it is as far as the business side of it goes? Like, yeah, they're going to come out. They're going to have 70 to $110 million openings, and then that's going to be that, and then on to the next one. It feels kind of like we're at a little bit of a plateau after the you know, 10, 15 years of Marvel movies. Is, is there a revolution coming somewhere in, ahead of time that's going to change this, or are we just going to do this for a couple of years, you think? I think it's going to take, uh, well, first of all, I think that we're kind of an inflection point, that we're in the middle of a potential inflection point. I think it's going to take a couple of years. I mean, the MCU is the most profitable, most successful movie franchise going today. You don't have people kind of start uh, not showing up to those movies overnight. It's going to take a couple of years. It's going to take some missteps by Marvel. It's going to take some fatigue. It's going to take other movies, say like the Batman, showing up and saying, okay, we can do this, but we can do it in a different style, different way, maybe a little more gritty, something that people might be looking forward to, especially if you're a kid who grew up on the MCU movies and maybe you get attracted to some more adult-oriented stuff that way. Uh, the problem is, is that I, I think they're right now they're still going to make a bunch of money. However, the, the, their reputation of in the industry right now is really rough. And I think it's because a lot of directors and, and folks who are trying to uh, come out with their own original movies see them as the reason that they're struggling at the box office. Now, it's not to say that they don't their fears are legitimate, but I don't think it's just a Marvel thing necessarily because DC movies make a lot of money. Uh, the Godzilla movies that have the Godzilla King Kong movies that have come out lately have made a lot of money. It's 
that it's about known IP names that people feel safe with. But I think the MCU has become the face of that, which unfortunately for them, as much as they have a cultural footprint, it's gonna it's not gonna necessarily give them the respect in the industry. If they get any respect from the industry or or particularly film schools and stuff like that, you're gonna have to wait years down the line. Uh, when people kind of are able to look back on it after it's over as, wow, this is an amazing thing that they were able to pull off over the years. I think the movies, I I still generally like the movies. I do think that we're getting less and less great movies from them. Um, It definitely starting to feel like that formula is becoming a strain on them. Uh, I was kind of underwhelmed by the latest Doctor Strange movie, uh, even though I I didn't think it was a bad movie, but... Uh, after you see something like Everything Everywhere All at Once, or even the newest Spider-Man, um, I you kind of have set the bar high. And uh, I, I thought that movie, if anything, felt like filler. And if they keep having those filler movies, I, I think people might be able might tune out. But I, I mean, I think eventually this is not I know it feels like this is going to go on forever but history tells us it won't. I mean, th- there's been so many moments in history where certain kind of movies were the big money makers and then things changed. Um, but I don't think it happens overnight. This is something that's going to take years and a lot of factors uh, that are in and out of Marvel's control to happen. Yeah, and you're writing Luis Mendez. Uh, find his writing at his own Substack, also ordinary-times.com. You've done history all the way back uh, pre 20th century movie history for us before you understand it. Your writing always lends me to understand that what's reflected on the screen is a reflection of the business side of it because it just has to be. This is a case I think where the business side of it is going to eventually do more to it than the, than the content or the audience side of it, because like you've written about before, the other part of these Marvel movies, people don't realize is these things are huge bandwidth sucks for these companies. They, you know, we think about the movie industry being rich. It is, but it's not unlimited. The, these actors are on multi-year, multi-part contracts, multi-movie contracts. These productions, sometimes they, they do the productions two or three movies at a time, which can take a year or two up. There, there's a lot of overhead, for lack of a better term, to making these Marvel movies. And the business side of it, like you said, there's just a lot of creative people that either aren't going to get involved in that because it ties them up too much or studios that are like, man, this is a big resource drain to do something that we've done 25, 30 times already. Isn't that kind of the part of this that'll probably change it a lot before the actual audience gets fatigued of it? I mean, it could, it could be a part of it. Uh, it I mean, Disney is Disney. They, they're a multi-billion dollar company and they're the ones backing Marvel in this. So I think that helps too, that they have so many resources. Uh, but if, if especially the studios who have c- kind of tried to come up with their own cinematic universes and stuff like that, and they've struggled. Uh, DC, who, who eventually just kind of gave up and decided to kind of do more standalone movies. Uh, so I think in some respect, uh, what you were talking about really has sort of happened to other studios. Whether it's going to happen to Marvel will be interesting to see because we already know that some folks have kind of left. Uh, I mean, Chris Evans is... Uh, no, not there anymore. Um, uh, Robert Downey Jr. Uh, it's not there anymore. Uh, eventually, you got to believe other folks are going to be leaving. Um, so it is it is a hard thing to pull off, especially when you've been doing it for over a decade now. And there was a story out there that Kevin Feige and his team went to a, a, a retreat to talk about the next 10 years. I'm like, that's pretty confident. You don't know if within 10 years, if 
there's been a dramatic shift in what vote, uh, what uh, audiences are won. Uh, so it's going to be interesting to see how if the, if they can still be around in ten years, at least in terms of where they are now, uh, where they're making three, four movies a year and making uh, almost a billion to a billion dollars on all of them. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see if Disney starts kind of sliding them towards the Star Wars movie where model where you do more content creation and then maybe do one or two movies a year instead of three or four. I think that might be kind of the intermediate step here. We'll see what they do. Uh, Luis Mendez, real quick before we got to let you go. Uh, we're halfway through the year, give or take. We're basically halfway point. Uh, what's a couple movies coming up that folks really want to pay attention to? I know you said everything always. People have been writing about that. I think that thing's up to like $60 million now. It's amazing. Uh, give people a couple movies to pay attention to over the rest of the summer here that they may not otherwise have been hearing about with all the noise about Top Gun and so forth. Well, I, well, they, they've definitely heard about the new Jurassic Park movie, which is coming out in a couple of weeks. And I mean, that franchise has kind of become uh, divisive with people. Yeah. People are kind of 50-50 yeah. on the sequels. <laughs> yeah. uh, I'm going to have to watch the first one in the theater. I yeah. mean, <laughs> I don't know if I want to watch it or not, to be honest. I mean, the, well, the first one I, is a classic, but the sequels, I, I think they're kind of dumb popcorn flicks at best. Uh, after, But there is a movie coming out in June, late June from A24 called Marcel the Shell with the Shoes On. Um, it's about a little shell with uh, uh, who's got like one eye. He's got a uh, grandma. I think her na- name is uh, Nana Cotty. And it's about a documentary filmmaker who uh, ends up living with them and the search for their family. I've been hearing great reviews for this movie. Some people have even compared it to the Paddington movies, which definitely gets my ears up. Uh, It's said to be a nice comfort food kind of movie that families are going to love. So I can't wait for that. I'm actually really excited for Thor Love and Thunder. I like Taika Waititi's uh, vision. I feel like he's one of the few directors that you can see his style versus the rest of the Marvel formula. So I'm excited for that in July. Uh, So those are the movies that pop up. The two movies that really come up to me during the summer, but uh, that Marcel the Shell, I'm telling people to keep an eye on it. It may be the next Everything Everywhere, where it it just gets legs from good word of mouth as as the, the little movie that could. All right, fun question to end on though. Uh, I'm going to throw you a hot take, Nate. See how you handle it. Jurassic Park was John Williams's best score. Oh, I made him think I, about uh, it. I know it's heretical because everybody's got their favor, but I, 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 and I'm biased because I, I remember I actually owned that when it came out. I went and bought it. It's one of the first, it kind of got me into classical and orchestra music. I think Jurassic Park, the original Jurassic Park soundtrack, may be John Williams's best score. I mean, it, yeah, it may be. Um, There's a lot of it's a tough from. call. He just turned it's 90 tough... last week, by the way. God bless. Yeah, and, and it's a tough call because he's done so many uh, incredible ones. Um, I I, 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 I sat in an IMAX on it. Sunday. I sat in an IMAX and just that da da da, like that's all they needed. And everybody's like, oh, that's Jurassic Park, John Williams. Yeah. Three, no- three notes. Like that, that score is so good. I know everybody's probably going to go Star Wars or um, Schindler's List is depressing, but it's just god awful beautiful. But I think, I think Jurassic Park might be his best score. Just top to bottom, the entire soundtrack, there was not a bad, everything was just pitch perfect. I think that's his masterwork. That's just my opinion. I mean, I, I need to double check. Did he do Jaws? I need to mm, double check. I don't remember. 
I don't. Yeah, Jaws is a bit before my time. I'm, if he did, if he if he did Jaws, then uh, I'd have to say that it's a tight battle between Jaws and Jurassic Park. Then. Yeah, but I I put Jurassic Park over Star Wars, which will make people mad. But it's a better it's a better. No, I I I probably agree, but I tend to have unpopular opinions when it comes to Star Wars. <laughs> now his Duel of the Fates might be his single best piece of music he ever wrote. That was spectacular, but. Anyway, the great John Williams turned 90 last week, so I had him on my mind. Uh, but that's why we like talking to Luis Mendez. If it's movie-related, I can throw it to him, and he's got an opinion on it. Let folks know where they can find your writing. Your Substack is great. You've got YouTube stuff going on. You also write at Ordinary Times once in a while. Hint, hint. Love to have you back. Uh, let folks know where they can find you and follow you, my friend. Well, there's definitely going to be a piece coming out of the Cannes Film Festival. is over, and Top Gun has become a Best Picture contender. But uh, uh, find my writing over at MendisMovieReport.substack.com. I've actually been very happy to see the views uh, numbers that I'm seeing the last couple months from there. Uh, also, if you want to find me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, uh, if you've got a letterbox, MendisMovieRPT, you can find me on there. And I've also got a YouTube channel. I still got to work on it a little bit. I want to uh, do a couple of uh, videos on there, but I'm still working on it. Uh, that's where you can find me. You deserve all the success, my friend, because you do fantastic work. You've been a good friend for a couple of years now. Great writer, great commentary. One thing I want to mention about Top Gun, too, is people will be surprised. There's some laugh out loud funny moments in that movie. Like they really did a good job balancing with the humor. Um, I meant to mention that earlier, but it's you, just a pure summer blockbuster. Oh yeah, audience, audience reaction film, and it never and takes it's, itself and it's too done serious. Well. Yeah. yeah, it never took itself too serious. It knew exactly what it was. It was per perfect summer movie. Loved it, loved it. And I, I, I'm a look. I'm one of those kids. I was like seven, eight years old when Top Gun came out. Like that's one of my foundational movies. I'm just telling you, it was a great movie. Anyway, Luis Mendez, you deserve all the success, my friend. Happy to continue to promote you, and we'll talk again soon because God knows we need some movie escapism with the way the news has been lately, don't we, my friend? Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, that's the great thing about the movies. It it's, helps you escape. Yeah, and we definitely – I think I really think that's one of the reasons, like, a Top Gun's doing so well. It's like everybody was just ready for – let's just do Raw Raw for two hours and and feel good. I think people were ready for it. That's what we do with Luis Mendez. He makes us feel good about the movies. Thank you, sir. We'll have you back soon. Hey, thanks. I hey. love being here. Yes, sir. Anytime. All right, folks, we're only going to spend a second on this. Uh, the John Durham investigation has been going on for three years. It's been very, very loud online while being very, very light on anything uh, productive. Not online. Uh, the first trial and charges brought in that case have now come and gone. The Michael Sussman trial has come to an end. It took the jury just six hours to come back with an acquittal. Now, six hours might sound pretty long, but when you consider it takes them three or four hours just to go through the jury instructions, that's nothing. This jury came back almost immediately with a not guilty verdict. Now, a lot of people are going to say a lot of things online about this. Look, uh, if you're new to the program and if you're new to planet Earth and you're just now discovering that the Clintons are corrupt and play dirty pool, 
welcome to the ball game. This is known for 30 some odd years. I don't know where you've been, but yes, the Clintons are corrupt and do shady borderline and sometimes blatantly illegal things. But that's not what the issue at hand here is. The issue at hand is John Durham has been a special prosecutor for three years coming out of uh, William Barr's charge and has nothing to show for it. Now, there's legal experts who actually think he brought this case because he brought the last day that the statute of limitations would allow him to do so just so he could air a whole bunch of stuff in this trial about some of his theories without being able to actually prove any of it. And this is the way of getting it out there and sustaining it. The truth is, this is the end of the Durham investigation. He's going to lose steam. Uh, people are not going to have any incentive whatsoever to cooperate with him, and they're certainly not going to fear him after this. This is it. Uh, the Durham investigation has been a white whale for a couple of years now that that was going to be what finally throws Hillary Clinton in jail and exonerates Donald Trump. It's going to be neither of those things. I'll quote our friend Ed Morsey over at Hot Air here, or paraphrase him, I should say. Uh, this is how general counsels usually end with a fizzle. Maybe people will quit using them because they almost never come out to anything productive. The John Durham investigation put a spike in it. It's done. It'll still continue to be loud. It will live in on legend, but its actual productivity is over. And it didn't accomplish a thing other than give us some details on what we already knew. The cleanse are corrupt. Trump had some questionable stuff. The FBI cleared the Alpha Bank stuff. We probably should all move on. But we won't. So there it is. More hotel right after this. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. America, we are endowed by our creator with certain unalienable rights, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. At Grand Canyon University, we believe in equal opportunity, and the American dream starts with purpose. To serve others in ways that promote human flourishing and create a ripple effect of transformation for generations to come. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Private. Christian. Affordable. Visit gcu.edu. back to her Tom Andrew Donaldson let's go over to the UK for our end segment where we always try to uplift folks a little bit Romsey the romseyadvertiser.co.uk uh, Trudy Whitaker's husband John died at the start of April after losing almost a year-long battle with bile duct cancer that's not the good news uh, the response is John 52 or booby excuse me 
Booby, as everybody told called him, spent his last months at the Mountbatten Hospice on Botley Road, Southampton, after learning there was nothing else doctors could do to treat his illness. The family had since announced they would be holding a fundraiser. Trudy said the generosity showed by businesses around Romsey and even further out had been phenomenal. So many shops donated prizes to this raffle. Listen to this. This is some unique items. I love this. We had all sorts coming into Waitrose to give us large bottles of champagne and chocolates. We had boxing and racing tickets, tattoo vouchers, and even 350 pounds worth of Botox from the lady who runs the Age Repair Aesthetic Clinic. We couldn't be more grateful. The response was amazing. John, a popular figure among the Romsey community and Gardner by Trade, was only meant to be at the hospice for a few weeks, but ended up there over a month. On the night he died, Trudy said the family raised 400 pounds by passing a hat. They've since returned to the hospice to plant a Mountbatten rosebush in his memory. Uh, they felt it wasn't enough, so they've came back and done this raffle. Really cool thing to do. Uh, they said the hospice could not have been nicer. Sometimes they'd have 20 or 30 people in there with John as he uh, ended his life. Uh, good on them. I love stories like this. Communities coming together wherever they are and families taking care of their loved ones. Plus, that's pretty cool. Anybody raffling off tattoo vouchers and Botox? That's pretty cool. It seemed like a good character. God bless his family in their time of grieving. That'll do it for her tell. Uh, we hope you continue to subscribe and watch and listening however you are on any of the podcasting platforms or the YouTube channel. Appreciate your support. We're going to keep trying our best to turn down the noise of the news cycle, keep bringing you great information. We got a lot of good guests lined up for the rest of the week going into next week already. A lot of stuff going on in the world. Uh, we couldn't do it without you, though. If you're not listening, we ain't got nobody to talk to. This is a partnership. Make sure you're reaching out to us, hertelshow at gmail.com, at hertelshow on the Twitter. Would love to hear from you. Might even tailor the program to your questions, concerns, epistles, and thoughts. That'll do it for us until we see you again on the next Herd Tell. We hope wherever you are across the street or around the world, you and yours are well. You're well fed. We'll talk to you tomorrow for more Herd Tell. All the music on her tell is provided under a creative content license from monstercat.com. Sauce Lemon.